Welcome, and thank you for joining Discipleship Conditioning, where we present anatomy through a biblical lens. As we move along, we want to focus mainly on this connection between anatomy and the Bible. So often people have a misinterpretation of them being polar to each other or antagonistic to one another. And we're here to defend that they're not. In fact, this week, I'm going to begin going through a process of creating a PDF that lays out every verse in the Bible that something related to anatomy and physiology is laid out. I can already tell this is going to be quite the project. Uh, Just looking up blood and bones, there are more than a hundred instances Uh, where that shows up in the Bible. So the PDF will have a hundred verses just from those two topics. And I'm going to go through uh, the entire Bible, and I'm going to pick out terms uh, that fit with that, showing us a connection between anatomy and physiology and the Bible. If you're interested in that, I'm going to make that as a free PDF, and uh, you can email us to get a hold of that. Eventually, I'll integrate that into the website, and you can get that for free through erratphysiology.com. As we always like to start off, uh, we do so with prayer requests. You can email us at prayer at erratphysiology.com. If you have prayer requests, we would uh, enjoy reading them and enjoy as a family praying uh, based on those requests. So today's topic is going to be cuneiform. That word is uh, not mispronounced, but is pronounced in different ways uh, by a number of people. Uh, We're going to talk about where it originates from as it pertains to Ezekiel 4.1. And by the end of this podcast, you will know the meaning of the word cuneiform. So our mission, we're here to serve men roughly ages 20 to 40 who have ever felt persecuted over their God-given qualities. Through our anecdotal experiences in life, as well as the field of anatomy, and more importantly, the scholastic truth of the Bible, we teach how God's Word impacts every facet of our lives. We are faced with a problem of societal influence outweighing biblical influence, which leads to our succumbing to the evil tactics intended to destroy us. We serve brothers and thereby sisters with authenticity in the midst of change through our calling in ministry as teachers, relating the often opposed subjects of anatomy and the Bible. We are self-sponsored. Again, our website is erratphysiology.com. There we have blog-style articles. We have nonfiction books. The book we're working on right now is called A Year Without Television. We have strength and conditioning programs. We have courses. We have three courses that are up, two that we're working on. One is an anatomy-based course. The other is a physiology-based course. We have faith-based podcast, which is what you're listening to right now, discipleship conditioning. We also have faith-based coaching available on the website. And here locally in the Boise, Idaho area, we have a summer camp to be held in Greenleaf, Idaho, uh, that is based on increasing athletic performance 
of young athletes age 5 to 18. If you'd like to inquire further on anything that I've just said through our self-sponsorship, you can reach out at hello at erratphysiology.com or simply visit our website and examine further what we are offering. As we move along podcast to podcast, that introduction is becoming more short. It's a good thing. My goal is always about 30 minutes per episode, um, 40 on the long end for some subjects. And uh, that is based on the average commute time of individuals. Whether you're listening to this on a run, you're listening to this while doing housework, or you're, you're doing this on the way to the doctor's office in your car, on your way to work, um, most of us are not going on a run for two, three, four hours. Uh, most of us are taking breaks between work we're doing at home. Most of us, if we're commuting, we're looking at 30 minutes uh, or less for our commute time. Some more. At a period in my life, I had a two-hour commute, two, and then a two-hour on the way back. So four hours to and from. Um, so I would have been able to get through a number of these podcasts, but for most of us, we're 30 minutes or less, and so that's the goal for us, is to, is to be in that range. So let's transition to the Bible, what truly matters. And today we have one verse picked out, it's Ezekiel 4.1, and it reads, And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave it, engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem. Again, that was Ezekiel 4.1. Our application of that, the first part that stood out to me in that verse is son of man. And if you're like me, the first thing you think of when you think of son of man is Jesus, as he's referred to as the son of man in the gospels. And so that one, anytime I read it somewhere else, specifically in the Old Testament, it kind of provokes me and I, and I want to do more research on why are we using that term? Um, and as I did research on this and I look at various commentaries, it seems to be that the reference here is more general, is more to the Son of Man in an application of just general mankind, as opposed to Jesus or as opposed to Ezekiel, who this book is about, um, or anything else. So um, just note that when you read Son of Man in the Old Testament, oftentimes there takes more research and commentary examination to try and get an idea. Anytime we go outside of the Bible, it's just that. It's outside of the Bible. And so we need to be very careful, very cognizant, very cautious about what we're looking at and what we are sort of baking our ideas into. If I could promote one source, one book for you to use the rest of your life, it would, of course, be the Bible. I would say, get rid of this podcast. I would say, get rid of that TV show. Uh, get rid of that commentary and just focus on the Bible. However, if we're using that TV show, if we're using commentary, if we're using this podcast as a supplement that always directs us back to the Bible, and now I think that there is a warranted use of those things. I think far too often, whether you're an auditory learner, a visual learner, or a kinesthetic learner, different forms of media can sort of snare you 
and make you reliant on that. Um, for instance, if you're an auditory learner, the last thing I want you to do is take what we're teaching here and apply that above and beyond the Bible. And oftentimes that'll happen because people who are auditory are going to pick up on uh, a podcast and what is taught through a podcast more so than just reading a text. To those individuals, I would say, find some sort of audiobook form of the Bible. There are plenty out there. I purchased one probably, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago that was all actor-based. And so a lot of recognizable voices to kind of relate. And so uh, I've listened to that through that many times. It's its own separate app. Uh, but there are free versions out there where whether it's an artificial intelligence voice that's reading it or somebody that's been hired to do that specific version, there are many options out there if you're an auditory learner. Again, as much as we love this podcast and as much as we, we want you to listen to it, as much as we want to create and foster a relationship with you, more than that, we want you to be in your Bible. And, and again, that's why we title each episode based on a date and a verse, today's date and the verse that we're focusing on. As encouragement for you to go back and look at that verse and see what it means to you. By no means are we saying that what we're saying is gold is final. No. The Bible's gold. The Bible is the only inerrant form of literature ever written. It's the only form we can trust 100% as God's word. And so any form that you use to learn, you need to be going back to the Bible in some form or fashion. Now, if you're a visual learner, uh, oftentimes there are a number of shows out there that are very stimulating, uh, but many of those shows, one specifically, takes out sections of the Bible and then sort of fills the gaps. Well, we don't know if those gaps are truly what the Bible uh, stated or not. In fact, we actually, we know that that's not the case. We, we know that that's just filler to make a TV show, to make a movie, whatever the case is. And if we watch that, understanding that from an entertainment perspective, I think that's okay. However, as I'm already noticing with one specific show, a lot of people are replacing scripture with that. They're saying, well, I, I saw this on this episode. I saw this in this movie. And so that's what happened. And all of a sudden that gets ingrained to the brain that that came from the Bible. And, and it wasn't, that was filler. That was extra. So where do we have to go? We have to go back to the Bible. And perhaps visual is the most difficult because we don't have a visual form of the Bible. There are many companies out there that have done a really good job making videos that are supplementive to the Bible, but they aren't the Bible. Now, I may not be aware of somebody who's uh, created a movie of the Bible that is word by word off of the King James Version or the English Standard Version. There may be, and if there is, and you're a visual learner, that's something good to look into. I am a visual learner, and so I notice I'll pick up more in a single episode or movie, and then I will reading a whole chapter of a text in the Bible because I don't, I don't, I don't understand very well. I don't retain very well just reading directly out of a book. 
but I recognize that it still must be done. If you're a kinesthetic learner, it is important to go through some sort of movement, some sort of motion with it. Here is where I would suggest note-taking, because if you're moving a pencil, if you're moving a pen up and down, creating language, which ties into what we're talking about today with cuneiform, if you're going through that movement pattern, you, excuse me, you are learning. And with that, I have an example that has worked very well for me. As I've read through many anatomy and physiology textbooks, there's a lot of it that I didn't understand. And if I didn't understand it, I would read through a section and I would rewrite word for word what was stated that I didn't understand. I would then do my best to sort of translate it into my own words, my own modern understanding. And that really helped me take text and turn it into a kinesthetic movement. Since the, the Bible doesn't give us instructions to act something out, I mean, in some cases it does, but for the most part, um, it's either poetry or it's storytelling or whatever the case may be. We can still take that and we can use old school writing. And even, you know, if you want to do it on something like an iPad with a Apple pencil or something, that's fine too. You're still going through the movement to retain that in a kinesthetic fashion. So for me personally, of the three, the one that I am least is auditory. If I listen to an audiobook, oftentimes I'm reading the book at the same time. So I'm getting sort of that visual stimulus of reading the words, but also an auditory input. But I don't learn best that way. I learn best either visual or kinesthetic. So I'm one of those individuals that has to be very careful when I'm watching that show or movie to not have that be a replacement in my brain on what was written. So when I watch a show or movie like that, oftentimes I'm pausing it and I'm referring back to the Bible on where in the Bible did it say that. And you'd be surprised at how often you can't find anything because it's not there. And from a kinesthetic perspective, whether I'm studying for anatomy and physiology, another course, or I'm just simply doing my Bible study, it is often quite helpful for me to actually physically rewrite what I'm learning and go through that kinesthetic process. I got a little long-winded there. I apologize about that, the son of man, but everything in that I believe is truly important. The next section was take a brick. And here's where we really start to introduce the, the, uh, the term cuneiform. And when I first started learning about that, I thought the word cuneiform referred to the tile, the brick, the tablet um, that, was, that was utilized to engrave on. But as I've learned more, cuneiform was, was actually the language, the writing language. Some translations read, take a brick. Some read, take a tile. Some read, take a tablet. Um, if you go back to the interlinear Bible, which is a direct uh, translation word for word from the old Hebrew, in this case, uh, in the Old Testament or Greek in the New Testament, it reads tablet and it actually reads clay tablet. So it adds a little bit to that. So it's interesting that many of the translations have removed the word clay. I'm not sure what their reasoning for that is, uh, but this, this depicts sort of a primitive 
pen and paper uh, sort of communication language method. So when they say engrave it on the city, what they're engraving is sort of a language called cuneiform, and, and the, the written form of that language is called cuneiform. Now, as we'll talk about here in a minute, how does that pertain to anatomy and physiology? Well, believe it or not, you have three bones in your body, actually six, because you have three in each foot, that are called cuneiform bones because of their shape. If you were to go Google this right now and look up cuneiform as sort of a written language, you would likely see that it's listed as being wedge-like. And that's where we get the name for those bones. They're wedge-like also. The purpose of this in Ezekiel 4.1 was to keep passing the story from generation to generation. I can't speak directly to what God was commanding Ezekiel to do in the book of Ezekiel. It's a very prophetic book that is far beyond my understanding. Uh, but I know that we had to have a way of passing these stories on from generation to generation. And in these early, early times, this was a way of, of doing that through a specific language. And what's really fascinating is we know that God understands everything and sees the big picture with all. And so he was able to see these language shifts that were going to come. One that I find really interesting is Greek. If you wonder why the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and the New Testament is written in Greek, one postulation would be uh, sort of a spreading of the gospel in a, in, a, in a uniform fashion. So at the time of, well, I, I, can't, I can't give you a specific date, I don't know, but uh, it's going to be before Jesus' birth, pretty proximal to that, that birth there were different languages. And over a period of time, the Greek language sort of overtook the area as, as uh, those who spoke Greek took over much of Europe in that area. And it's interesting to think of it from a perspective of spreading the gospel because the New Testament was written in Greek. And the New Testament starts off right with the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those needed to be spread all over Europe in that area. And what better way to do that if it's written in one language that everyone understands? So as you look at the Tower of Babel and how everybody was spread apart in Genesis and different languages were to be spoken, that was very purposeful. But then you look later on and God actually allows sort of an overtaking of an area and the teaching of that Greek language to come through so that when his son comes and his story is to be told through the gospels, that everyone understands the Greek language. They may understand their native language also, but they can all communicate through Greek. And so the disciples, apostles are able to spread the message of Jesus and spread the good news through a uniform language. We then have all the translations we have today in English, and I'm thankful we live in a time that we do. Even though I often feel like I should have been born in the 1800s, based on who I am and what I'm like, uh, I'm thankful that we have all the technology that we do, uh, because I'm able to go back and look at 
you know, the English standard version, which I read primarily and compare that to the new international version, which is more thought for thought than word for word. Uh, sometimes I'll use the NIV, the new international version as sort of commentary for the English standard version, because the English standard version is so direct and word for word. Sometimes I want to go the other way and I want to be more direct and word for word. So I'll look through the interlinear Bible to do that. And as I've mentioned before, this summer, I'll be taking a Greek class and probably this fall, maybe next spring, I'll be taking a Hebrew class. And, uh, as I work through, uh, biblical exposition, I want to learn more about those original languages so I can see how translations have come to be. And I can see all the different things uh, that go into that process. So throughout those languages, words come through and it's funny in the English language because like with a word entrepreneur, which is a French word, uh, apparently we didn't have a word better suited for that. So we just sort of borrowed from another language. I was just talking to an individual the other day that was talking about how much Latin is in English. And that resonates because as a professor of anatomy and physiology, I see Greek and I see Latin in a bunch of terms that we use. And here's, here's an example of that with cuneiform. We've taken that word and we've sort of taken it as a descriptor of a uh, original language. Some would say even the most original language. And we've sort of translated it to wedge-like and we've utilized it in a number of other languages, including English, even though its origin is not from the English language. So in anatomy and physiology, we use the word cuneiform for three bones in your foot. Most of us have two feet, so you have a total of six. These are in a classification of bones known as tarsals. The wrist bones would be called carpals. The ankle bones would be called tarsals. So basically the same word, just a C or a T. You have uh, eight wrist bones, eight carpal bones, and you have seven ankle bones, seven tarsal bones. Those tarsals connect to metatarsals, which makes up the majority of the length of your foot. And then those metatarsals connect to phalanges. There, for the most part, are three phalanges within each toe. And so five times three, 15. However, the big toe, the most medial toe, meaning towards the middle of the body, actually for the way God designed it, has two phalanges. And so the number is actually 14 phalanges. And if you look at the hand and you think of the thumb as sort of the big toe, the same counting arises there as well. You have 14 phalanges in the hand. Also in the hand, you have meta, uh, but it'd be metacarpal instead of metatarsal. And those just describe sort of your palm, the bulk of your hand, those five bones that connect to the base of each finger. Then, like I said, we have carpal bones. There are eight and we have tarsal bones. They are, there are seven. Uh, the tarsal bones are the three cuneiform bones. The first is called either the first cuneiform or the medial cuneiform. The second is called the second cuneiform or the intermediate cuneiform. 
And the third is called the third cuneiform or the lateral cuneiform. So the names of these bones start from the middle edge of the foot and they work their way outside lateral one, two, three. We also have a bone lateral to that called the cuboid. We have a bone that is more proximal or posterior. Both terms would work to those three cuneiform bones, and it's called the navicular. And then posterior and slightly superior to that, we would have the talus. And posterior and slightly inferior to that, we would have the calcaneus. So there's your seven bones of the tarsals. Now I haven't looked into the word navicular, cuboid. Well, actually I have with cuboid. Cuboid is just from cube. It's cube shaped. Uh, but I haven't looked up navicular. I haven't looked up talus and I haven't looked up calcaneus. So I'm not sure where those come into play, but in preparation of this podcast, uh, I pray. And I have ideas, I have a list on my phone of ideas that uh, I think would be good to talk about, whether in the midst of another podcast I say something that I then say, well, we'll talk more about that later because that doesn't pertain to what we're talking about today, or it be an idea that I get throughout the week on something that would be good to talk about. Regardless, I do my best to enter prayer before each podcast and ask God what he wants to put on my heart to be spoken through this microphone on this podcast. And today was awesome. Today was a day where I actually felt uh, direction in that regard. And oddly enough, it had to do with cuneiform. And whether that was to describe the language that God has used from generation to generation, or just another example on how we can create a link between anatomy and the Bible, I'm not 100% sure but I think it accomplished both goals. So while today I don't have a big fancy uh, title for you like stress that we can all uniquely apply to as we all experience stress, hopefully you understand a little bit more about the uh, transition of language throughout the Bible, and hopefully you understand a little bit more about your foot and three of the bones within your foot. In conclusion, as I've said many times in conclusion, the Christian decision-making process should consist of four, th three things, excuse me, not four, three things. First, prayer. Just like this morning when I'm praying about this podcast, enter prayer is your go-to, your first thing. Your second thing should be scripture, reading scripture often to confirm what you're talking about in prayer. And your third, if you still don't feel like you have an answer, which often happens for many of us, your third would be the, uh, the seeking of wise counsel. Be in a men's group, be in a women's group of people that you can trust, people that also seek prayer and scripture first. Ask them for the guidance that you're looking for. Go away from that meeting, go back to prayer, back to scripture on a daily basis until you reconvene. They should be going to prayer and scripture as well. 
And when you reconvene the next week or whatever it may be, you will have all spent seven days in prayer and scripture on the decision-making process. And hopefully they have some wisdom they can share with you. But that wisdom is at the human level. And so it never, never supplants scripture or prayer. We need that to be the focus. Prayer, what's your relationship with God look like? In scripture, what does his direct word say? If you need prayer, please reach out at prayer at erratphysiology.com. If you need wise counsel or you need to inquire on anything that's been said today, please reach out at hello at erratphysiology.com. And we'll conclude as we always do with the Lord's prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.